Rune, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Thank you, Tom. It's I'm um, doing very good. Very good. How are you guys doing? We're doing we're doing good. It's uh me and me and Liam running in tandem. Liam's running shotgun today during the podcast, first time. So so first to go nice, ever. right? Okay. Yeah, nice. yeah. He's done all his research. He's been up all night researching you, like your background, mm. Vario. He's been in the company accounts, looking at the stock price. Like he knows more about it than you know, right? Ah, oh, perfect. Uh, yeah <laughs> some uh, nerves on yeah. liam's face there'll um, be a, a real surprise to find out uh i did do some research but probably not as intense as i probably should have done as is it is my first time a, a little bit uh -huh. so we'll let you off we'll let you off okay thank you guys. so runa we've been speaking for a little while now um and uh i think the first time i got in touch was actually when i noticed your job title Okay. So you work at Vaya, which is known for its uh, VR and XR headsets, which yep. any sim racer, any gamer listening will know exactly what that is and can imagine what that entails. But <clears throat> the thing that stood out to me was that your job title was head of sim racing at a VR company. Now, it, it seems crazy niche. So like, how did that come about? How long has that job existed? Are you the first to fill that role? Yes, I'm the first to fill out a role in in Vario, and I wouldn't say it. it's it wasn't a a title that was uh, announced in in somewhat. So it's my main title has been business development manager. So I work with developing and expanding our business, and then through that I kind of combine like I've had sim racing now for a hobby for for numerous years, and now being able to have the opportunity to expand our business. So when around the same time I joined Vario. Two and a half years ago, I think it is now, about the same time we were announcing or releasing the Vario Aero headset, which is a game for consumers as well as professional businesses as well. And then looking into that, we were traditionally quite heavy in the flight sim market due mm. to we have a lot of the uh, professional companies like Boeing, Airbus, Lockheed Martin as, as customers in the mixed reality space. So I, I saw opportunity there to, to combine hobbies and work and started to work with different companies such as Simicube, Next Level Racing, and a, a few others as well with, with partnerships and getting the headset out there in the public for people to experience and getting truly immersed and like helping them trying to get or experience something really cool, such as like ADAC Sim Racing Expo last year. So Yeah, now that ADAC uh, Sim Racing Expo was the first time that I um, had come across uh, Vario. I saw you on the... Um the Simicube stand and obviously everyone was really excited over at that stand because not only did they have value, uh, Vario, which was kind of, it was kind of coined as like this new VR sim racing headset that was going to dominate the the kind of the high end of, of sim racing headsets. It was it was perfectly tuned for sim racing. Right? That's what we were hearing around the, the expo hall. Obviously, Simicube also had their first of a kind um, force feedback pedal set. So yeah. it was a very kind of like innovative like future space um, at Expo. So I kind of got excited about Vario and, and, and that was kind of like the first time that, uh, that I started following it. And I'm really keen to find out more about Vario, where, how the company started. I know it didn't necessarily start in the B2C space um, and then kind of what your role is and, what the, wh and why so much focus on the sectors rather than just like we're VR, we sell VR headsets. It, it seems like you're very focused on the, the two different sectors that you're, that you're attacking here with. Um, flight sims and racing right but before all that many of our listeners um if they're listening to a sim racing podcast as we said before they're pretty into sim racing right and so a lot of people will have some kind of aspiration some kind of dream of one day working in sim racing not everyone not everyone but a lot of people that we speak to do somehow want to know how they can end up doing what they love day in day out in the sim racing space right and that's exactly what you're doing so so take us back to the beginning of your kind of professional life how did you end up in a role that has okay two titles but one of them is head of sim racing yeah so that's super i would say super random i have to be honest on that so my background really is in construction industry so i worked as a construction worker for about three years time and i grew up on a farm countryside like i don't have anything like family related or background related in in technology I've always been interested in technology gaming and, and motorsport in, in general but our background is construction industry or company as construction worker. I went to BIM technical school here in Oslo, Norway. Uh, and after that, I was lucky enough to land a job at Rumble, which is like a consultancy company, global mm. company. So I was fortunate enough to work with combining the practical experience that I had with the like technical or software knowledge 
and been able to work on like 3D models around Europe. I was in Qatar for a while working on football stadiums for the World Cup last year, which was a sweet. Pretty cool at like yeah. a 19, 20 year old or however <laughs> at that point, which was really cool. I uh, worked more than a couple of years in our AF group and was like a general contractor combining and taking and working on how to use digital tools in the either design or building process of a building or a infrastructure projects. And in that period, I came into VR, like I tested VR back when the DK2 was released 2012, 12, 2013, something like that from, from Oculus, like the first one. And I found that to be really cool at that time. And then now being able to combine technology VR together with actually practical use cases. So at the same time, I started to play around the VR in, in F Griffin. I got the opportunity to take a, like a course or like a certification on Stanford University uh, within like VDC, which is like virtual design and construction, which is like a, a one year course that you take. And then you do some research and documentation on the sort of findings you do. So instead of just like adding a new tool, actually documenting the process and the findings on how to use VR. So I was really hooked on VR. I was still working in construction industry. I really enjoyed the software that we're using. So I actually ended up joining that software company here in Norway, which was a startup at that point with 12 to 15 people, I think. A really cool team. The technology was like way ahead of its time. Uh, super cool. At that point, COVID hit like a few months afterwards and then going out and selling VR headsets when people were afraid to touch like mm. door handles, like they wouldn't take the headsets on, on their face and meeting up physically at, at all. Um, so at that point, we started talking with Vario on doing something like some cool collaboration or seeing what we could do together. That ending up uh, the startup being acquired by Vario two and a half, three years ago now. So when I started in Wario, I had kind of like a business development role in Dimension 10 or like the VR startup. And then I got the same sort of role in Wario and I got pretty like free hands or how you put it. Like I, I could do a bit of research in development. I'm still, I was still working like heavily then within the AC construction industry. But then I also saw the opportunity to expand into like B2C area, especially with the IADO, but also working with professional motorsport teams within like NASCAR, Formula One, GT3 and, and similar. So I don't really have any like formal education and it's been, I wouldn't say random that I ended up where I am, but it's been like always learning something new from the different positions or the different areas I've been working on and seeing how you can combine and implement that and kind of more like working on something that is, is fun. Wow. Cause I was going to say that one of the things I noticed, you said that sim racing started for you as kind of a hobby in the beginning. Do you want to explain kind of a bit more in depth what you mean by just a hobby? Cause you know, there's people who just race or play racing video games like Forza. And then there's people who are already like jumping into, I'm going to get a pedal. I'm going to get a wheel, maybe a VR headset. So just yeah. explain a little bit kind of, the depth of this side hobby of racing. Sure. So I think the first like introduction I had with like a motorsport game or like a driving game or like Need for Speed Underground, like the, the first one and then or Need for Speed series in, in general. But Great I think soundtracks. it's the, yeah, really cool soundtracks. And then I think when Need for Speed Underground 2 came out on PlayStation two i think it were yeah i got like a steering wheel like no forced feedback or anything for uh from my parents for christmas one year and i played around with that but i was so so young at that time so i didn't really like mm. get the hang of it at, at all and you don't use a uh, brake in that game right you just, no you just, just like just handbrake or nos it's like it's either exactly it's all and all then on or all, all off <laughs> yeah and just uh, like I remember like, yeah, just driving and listening to the turbo sound, like, doo, 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 doo. it was like, <laughs> yeah. it was the most like amazing sound back then. I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. <laughs> but yeah, fast forwarding a few years, I got an Xbox, I played Forza, like Motorsport and Horizon and stuff like that, mostly with a controller. I did get a steering wheel at some point there as well, but like Forza and wheelset has never been like good friends, I think. So I played around with that Forza, then I think Formula 1 2017, 16 or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, I started playing the Formula 1 from, from Coldmasters, 
I did get from my then girlfriend, now wife, a steering wheel and pedals, like a Logitech D920 for Christmas. That's First year we were together. She's gone we're... from girlfriend to wife, That's right? Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> no, she's been supporting me and she thinks it's fun as well. So it's, uh, it's cool. No, but I'm yeah, super, super lucky there. And, uh, and that kind of like started off being a bit more interested, not doing anything online, just playing around F1 games. Um, did beta force to sell, but like mainly F1. Uh, found out then like, hey, I don't really didn't like the, like the feel or the mm. sense of the steering wheel. And then I was like, hmm, maybe if I get myself an F1 wheeled, like the match to one in game, that would be cooler. But I couldn't really find anything that was suited for the G920 at the time. So I got myself a 3D printer. And since I have some experience in the design and engineering from construction company or industry, it was fairly easy for me to like to learn new tools to design and print my own wheel uh, a few months after I got the first G920. That's very cool. The wheel didn't exist, so you were like, I'll just print it. <laughs> I'll just print it myself, make it myself. And then, then it was like a super cheap, super small printer. I, th- I think I had to print it either like four or six pieces and then like hot glue it together mm-hmm. to, to make oh. it work because of the printer were like so so small and, and basic. And from there, COVID hit. Uh, and then, yeah, as everyone else got into more sim racing, I actually saw that, okay, there is more to sim racing in motorsport and just like playing around on console. They actually have online racing it has streaming and seeing then like max was up and nana norris like kelvin vandalin all these guys like jumping on and doing all these online competitions mm. it like really opened my eyes towards like okay there's something called i racing and yeah. and online racing and, and at that it. point once you're in the ecosystem there's no, there's no getting get, out. Yeah, no getting out. <laughs> exactly. And then it's like getting into like the never ending upgrade game, I think. I think around Two weeks into iRacing, I found like, oh, I really suck. I need better gear to improve my lap times. Yeah. <laughs> yes. so, <laughs> so I ended up getting a Fanatec wheel and pedals at that time, Club Sport wheel and pedals, which worked quite good. I had it for two years, three years or something like that. Uh, it was quite fun, but it's still like it didn't really... There were some things about it that I didn't enjoy. It was still like... It wasn't a toy, but it still still felt like a toy. So, mm. like, sort of. I don't have any like real life motorsport experience at all. So I know why they have like a race car feels on track. But still, it, for me, it was a bit like a toyish feeling. And then ended up doing the what I should have done, like buy ones, cry ones, sort of things. I got the hoisting quilt pedals, semi-gear nice. wheelbase. Yeah, yeah. You went all the way to the top, right? I went all the way. And then <laughs> you have the, what was the thing that I really enjoyed with Fanatec was that you could get all these sort of like add-on wheels, super mm. easy to buy. They're not crazy priced and you can get like round wheels, steering, yeah, Formula One wheels or, or whatnot. And then what I experienced with the Simicube wheelbase is that you also, or the system is that you really have to pay like same price for a steering wheel as you did on the wheelbase kind of <laughs> to get something yeah. Yeah. proper. So then I took back the, I bought a new 3D printer, uh, watch a bit of YouTube, learn how to like solder PCB boards or like circuit boards and stuff. So I ended up building my own, like a, a replica of the um, Lamborghini GT3, like Hurricane wheel. Oh my goodness. Wow. That's very cool. <laughs> Do you know what I've noticed, right? Um, doing this podcast and, you know, I suppose the episodes that jumped to mind, uh, Hanu, um, CEO of SimiCube and Neville, CEO of Vasaro. There seems to be this like intrinsic link between product design, like hands-on hardware design and sim racing. There seems to be some kind of thread that joins people who are kind of product-minded to sim racing. And I'm trying to think what it is that, that jumps out about sim racing that seems to attract people who are kind of really kind of product-minded, like, you know, people you know, soldering PCB boards and printing wheels and, you know, like Neville does a lot of like building with his hands like <clears throat> Hanu started off you know doing they were just building motors before it was it was sim racing and what do you think it is about sim racing that seems to appeal to people who love kind of product and electrical engineering I think it's like it's endless what you can do really if you have a 3d printer a soldering iron and then access to Aliexpress or if you want to start up like the basic stuff just buy cheap components from from china that doesn't cost a lot if you if you mess it up and 
I don't know. There's at least for me, it's <clears throat> it's always been on the, like creating something myself. I really enjoy that, and I remember hearing stories from when I was a kid as well. I was taking things apart, like radios or what it was, just taking things apart and seeing how it how it works, and then seeing if there's anything I could do it to improve that, for example. So I don't know if it's there's something that comes from like our childhood or the curiousness and how to improve products or experiences or or what it is, but I don't know. It's kind of um, I wonder if it's something to do with the fact that sim racing is kind of the most I would say probably along with flight sims I guess like the most tactile of any type of gaming in that yeah. it's the only gaming where you feel it in so many different ways, dimensions, effects. You know, even from you know, rumble effects through a steering wheel to uh, weight on a brake pedal. Like you really feel what you're what you're playing. Um, so I wonder if it's that kind of like tactile, hands-on uh, appeal that sim racing has that that seems to marry product design and and engineers to to the sport or to the you know to that sector of gaming. Yeah, absolutely, it could be that as well. I do flight sim as well. As uh, as right. I've been not not as much as as uh, as racing, but I, I'm doing like the 3D printing in loop. I don't know. There's something about like mm. trying to replicate in the game what you really want to do in the real life. Like you, if you can't just like, hmm. There's like a there's like a goal, isn't there? Yeah, it is. You know, like it... at least for me, I I can't just go and get a pilot license or start flying. <laughs> Same in a race car. Like you you can go to Nurburgring, rent a car, and go out there and, and crash it mm. if you want to. But still, it's like. Yeah, it's quite terrifying, ter- 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 yeah, or not, but still quite <laughs> terrifying, though. Yeah. Like, doing go- go-karting is fun and all that, but still, like, being in, like, especially for me, racing in VR, like, you feel like you're actually inside the race when things are going on. Like, you have the, obviously, say, like, the haptic feedback, the transducers, belt tensioners, mm. motion setup, like, all these things that really helps on the immersion and yeah. really makes it a lot more accessible for, for me and a lot of other people as well. So let's dive into VR then. Um, obviously, that'll be it's your your bread and butter. You know what value is <clears> all about, right? Um, and yeah. I, I'm really curious to to hear about the XR experience and uh, you know the, the 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 seemingly massive strides forwards that VR seems to have taken in the last few months. And kind of when you look at the the jump between now and what people are predicting in 2024 versus the difference between 2020 and 2021, it's massive. It seems to seems to be on this exponential growth curve of, of development, right? But before all of that, what is it about VR, not necessarily sim racing related, but what is it about VR? You said earlier when you were talking about your career path that, that you got really hooked to VR. Like, why? What is it about VR that, that hooks you? I think it's the sort of experience that you get while you're in, you are inside VR. If that's a sim racing game or if it's like Beat Saber or like any game, you really get like a difference or you get the sense of feeling that you are somewhere else and mm. that you're experiencing something unique, I think. Like for me, I, I played around with like the old Oculus, like Quest and Quest 2 and Vives and, and whatnot. But for me, it all never felt like it wasn't a, a sort of a gimmick. It was really cool to do for like 10, 15 minutes and then you got nauseous or, or DC or, or something like that. So I think it's a part of like from, from our perspective, like we come from like, as I said, like heavy, heavy industry simulation and training and it is like a, at the price point that is like not accessible for, yeah. for a lot of people. And, and I get that, but it, it also ties into technology. When you see like mobile phones of a couple of years, like it hasn't really involved that much of a few, three years now, but seeing when the iPhone or the touchscreen were firstly launched, because that technology were available at the same time, same with 3D printing. And it's a bit similar now with VR as well. You see more and more manufacturers coming up and equality being better and more accessible for a lot of people. And that's mostly due to like the component prices being more available. Like you can build this super crazy headset, but if it costs 15, 20, 30,000 euros, it will be super limited amount of people that will buy it. So that's why when the Oculus came out, it was super popular, but it wasn't really that good in terms of quality. And then you're reducing the product quality because you want to have it more accessible to a lot of people. So I feel when the IDO was launched two years ago, we really, really didn't want to, what do you call it, like neglect on the quality. Like mm. we want, like Barrios, yeah, compromise. The, 
Vario's vision is about always having the best VR or XR headset out there in the market. And yeah, it comes with a price, but it, uh, similar with everything else in sim racing, it doesn't necessarily make you quicker or faster, but in the end, it can make you having a better experience over time. So now racing in VR for, for myself, or when I started joining Vario, I like, played around with Oculus and stuff before that, and I could do yeah, 15 minutes races, and I was sweaty and foggy inside mm. the headset. I was like, yeah, I'm not doing this. But then when the Aero was launched, like, oh my God, this is really, really good. Like the sharpness and the quality of the displays were like unmatched with everything else. I've never, ever seen in, in VR and roles with active cooling that actually cools your pupils inside the headset. Right. Like I, I could do like hour, two hour races in VR, like without any issues. Gamers are sweaty enough already, right? Without, <laughs> without introducing yeah. us sweating from the face. Yeah. Wow. So breaking that down, what was your... Because you, you said you got into VR kind of first. So what was your kind of first gateway into the VR, like equipment-wise? Because as someone who has no idea anything about VR, like educate me a little bit on like where's the place, best places to look, what avenue should I be looking, and then eventually like justifying the, is it the Ario, the, the most recent one? For yeah, the Ario, Ario, Ario is the yes. most recent one that is uh, available for, for consumers. Yeah, I think like... Yeah, I tested VR first time in 2012 when I went to speak in technical school actually and tested tested it then with the Oculus DK2, which is like a closed beta or open beta. I don't know. It, it wasn't public at least. You mm. need to, needed to know someone that needed who knew someone in the Oculus guy, the new guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah to, to get it. And then you sort of have had the evolution of Oculus headsets uh, up until Meta or Facebook bought them a few years back. HP, I've had a fairly good headset at the time and then Valve Index. There's been a few good headsets out there, but never more than like three, four that have been like okay-ish. And I would say VR really didn't taste like mass market or how you put it before like Meta or, or Oculus World, like the Quest was released just because it made it much more accessible to a lot of people. You had like, as with a mobile phone, App Store built in, super easy to get games working, super easy to connect with friends and play with other other people online and then looking on yeah what we did like two years ago like there was the valve index which i think was the best one at mm. that time and it's still a really good headset but really really we really launched something that was like ahead of its time and what we see now two years later it's still like in terms of image quality and, and overall experience i think it's still the best headset out there yeah, and I'm really interested in the the VR versus XR, not versus, but I'm, the, the XR thing is absolutely blowing my mind, and I've watched a lot of YouTube videos about it. But before that, right, and I promise we will talk about Aero stuff in, in like particular and where Vario is going, but when you read up on VR, there's a couple of phrases that always come up, okay? And I, I, I feel like I've I've read enough to be able to ask the questions. I don't necessarily know the best answers, but I imagine a lot of people are looking at VR headsets and there's all these side-by-side -side comparisons. So one thing is your, um, your Hertz, right? Your refresh rate on a, on a headset. The other is your, your field of view. Um, the other is, um, the, you know, the number of pixels. So, you know, the, the ratio, the, the you know, what, uh, definition that you're looking in, um, uh, that you're looking at and then, and I suppose the screen type as well, OLED or, or whatever. But then the other one is the, um, the, the oh my goodness what's it called the i want to call it the 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 shutter door effect i'm saying that wrong screen door effect screen door effect yeah um so there's <clears> these four <throat> things right that when you're looking at vr these seem to always come up whenever you look at a reddit it'll be like this one's good for frame rate this one's good for field of view this one's better because the screen is clearer and it's it's 4k versus 2k or it's 8k versus 4k but this one has screen door effect like when you're making a decision, bearing in mind that like not everybody will be able to get to a, a like a value price point, but what do you think is most important when people are going through that hardware journey? I think like as it is with everything in Cermes, like budgets, it's like you, you should have like some sort of budget. You're probably going to end overspending on it anyway. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> but like the thing about VR as well, like you need to have a, a good VR headset. You also need to have a beefy computer. Or like mm. a, a graphics card or GPU to run it. But I think like the main thing you should think about while, while getting a VR headset is comfort. Because mm. no matter how great any of those features are, if you can't use it more than 10 to 15 minutes, 
then yeah. it's just like a gimmick or like a cool toy that you can bring up now and then. But, it, but if it you have weighs, something, right? Weighs yeah, ways or like like as you said, like the screen door. Like you do actually feel like you're inside something, or you're looking through like two toilet roll, uh, <laughs> toilet paper rolls, or yeah, as yeah. that like that was the experience like with the first VR headsets back in like yeah. 2012, 13. It were like looking through like two small holes, and mm. it felt like super strange. I remember the first VR headset, and you're going to laugh, right, that I ever had. Uh, my mum, and she's listening to the podcast. I don't know if she listens to my podcast. I assume she doesn't. Um, but, but if she does, hi, mum. But uh, she, I remember talking about VR, and I was telling her about sim racing and stuff, and I was saying that you can also do it in VR, and it's perfectly, like, sim racing is perfectly suited for VR because you're not really moving around, so you don't have that thing of, I'm not actually walking around the living room. I'm, you know, all that kind of like disconnect. You just sat in one position. You're in the room. It's perfect. Um, and then she must have like take taken note of that because um, the next birthday or Christmas, she bought me a VR headset. Right? The VR headset was one of those like cardboard things that you fold up. Into yeah, the and right the slider, with the phone. and then you put your phone in the front. <laughs> it was like. Oh, thanks, thanks, mum. I don't know how I would connect this to iRacing, racing, like I, I imagine, like the you know the the the, the uh, we have come so far since since those days. But I imagine the early days weren't too dissimilar to that kind of just very very basic flat screen. Yeah, and and roles. it and it worked great. It made it we are a lot more accessible to people because yeah. everyone had a mobile phone mm. and you can slide it in there and you somewhat can get like a three the sense of space or 3d inside mm. those anyway yeah now but it, still it's uh it's yeah. it's a grainy experience for sure <laughs> yes it was um but i appreciated the the present it was good fun it was good fun um still have it um thanks mom so uh something else i noticed is that there definitely is now a trend i guess as technology improves towards smaller lighter uh headsets now you know, the, the, I think it's called the Pimax is quite big. The Vario is a bit smaller, but then comes along. And I saw this on the boosted media channel who is coming on the podcast very soon. Um, which I'm excited for, uh, big screen beyond. Have you heard of these guys? Yes. So they brought out what essentially looked like, like swimming goggles. They're absolutely tiny. Now I'm assuming in order to achieve that, you have to compromise, as you were saying earlier on other factors, whether it's frame rate, whether it's screen type whether it's, you know, the definition, et cetera, to be able to, to achieve, um, that, you know, that kind of compact form factor. Um, but do you think that ultimately VR, like the race, the, the, the real race in VR is to get as small and light as, and as non-imposing as possible? I think it's depending on who you ask. If you ask for the mass consumer market, yeah, for sure. Mm. You want to have something that is like super, super light, but easy to wear. But then if you look into more the training and simulation or the business side of things, then it's yeah. more about actually getting the best quality and replicating the real world as close to possible. Yeah. And you just put up with the with the the kind of the weight or the, the inconvenience. And and I guess it's all relative, right? So we're not talking about a huge amount of weight. Like even like the, the value error is it, it looks I'm saying big. It's not. It's not big. I'm not saying it's like it's not too big, but it's you know it's bigger than a pair of goggles or, or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, uh, but even then, they're, they're made to be super light. And actually, even we had the Oculus Quest Two, which is really heavy and really bulky. And actually, I think you have to race for like an hour or so before you you start to kind of notice it, and it starts to you know your neck starts to sag a little bit. So these are all really first world problems, right? I think we should remember yeah. then the you need technology to technology we have. Yeah, yeah, then you should look into the, like, you need to, if you're doing VR, you need to do the same, tra like the training of the necks as the Formula One drivers. Yes. Like using yeah, like the neck is. band and <laughs> doing like all this exercises. Well, I do that anyway, right? I do that yeah, anyway then you're going to be a, exactly, a killer driver in VR. Yeah, I no, no, but I, as like you this. say, like, <laughs> <laughs> but as like with the Oculus, like it has a built up battery. So it's like there's pros and cons with wireless or not. Like the iAdo is like it's wired to the computer, mm. so it doesn't have the battery or the extra weight inside the headset. So there are like pros and cons between different yeah. different headsets and what sort of use cases you are while using it. If you are either way stationary in the sim racing rig and you have cables going to your headphones or or whatnot, it doesn't really matter if it's mm. wireless or not. But if you're doing more like an open landscape, walking around inside a room sort of something, mm -hmm. you would prefer wireless. Yeah. 
course. Yeah. So um, just going back to those kind of four factors that I spoke about, because I think a lot of people <clears> listening <throat> to this would love some real practical advice on on buying. Right. Do you think, you know, a lot of people say that um, anything over 144 hertz on a monitor, you're not going to notice the difference when it comes to VR. Is there a similar thing where like, anything over 4K, you're not going to notice the difference. Any, anything beyond 120 degrees field of view, you're not going to notice the difference. Like, is there kind of a sweet spot that, that people should look for as a minimum? Yeah, it might be. It's a good question. I think like the one thing you should, <clears throat> if you're talking about specification numbers, there's one thing to, like the field of view is one thing, but I think what's called PPD, so like pixels yeah. per degree, like... Mm-hmm. If it's higher than, if it's 37, then you're not able to see the individual pixels. Right. So with the Oculus, I think it has like 21 or something. You can clearly see yeah. each pixel inside the headset. And then you have the Aero, which is like 39 or something. You can't really see the pixels. Mm-hmm. And then with the XR VR3, like the professional headsets we have, it's 69 or 79. And it's just like crystal clear. It's like, 8k monitor or 4k monitor or how you would try to to compare it yeah no yeah. so i would say yeah P- P- ppd but like in terms of like field of view i don't know above 100 100 at least 105 i think a helmet is around 120 if you compare it like a real yeah real life uh yeah. motorsport helmet that's really interesting i guess with sim racing you have that almost like that caveat of like yeah, okay, we're 130 degrees and this other one does 140. But actually, if you're really all about immersion and performance, as you seem to be saying in all your other Reddit posts, then you can't see more than 120 in a in a helmet. So like, what do you what do you want? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's kind of kind of no, but like, mean. so some of the sort of the feedback we have gotten from some of the like Formula One teams and NASCAR teams as well, like they are really impressed by the headset that we have. It's it's very similar feel of your like the width and the height mm-hmm. inside the headset to actually having a real real racing helmet, which definitely helps on like getting getting the like real experience and improvements. And we also see that most of them they're building the headset inside real helmets anyway, when they are yeah. inside the simulators. So like weight isn't really a factor anymore because you already have a huge helmet on you and that's very cool. Replicating like the real race scenarios. So. Now I wonder is there a product line there? The first VR provider to come out with a, a an actual helmet that you put on as a sim racer? I mean, I don't know what my girlfriend would say if she walked in. If she walked in on me sim racing and I had a helmet on. But it feels like in the next five years, someone's going to try that, right? And you can have custom lids and... I mean, you could do it. But the thing about VR is it's so individual. Like the head... Mm. like this. It sounds weird, but like the size of the heads and the distance between the pupils or yeah. like the center of your pupils, it really does matter in VR. So in terms of helmet, I was like with the big screen VR or it's beyond or where it's right? called. No, that one you need to measure your points before yes. sending it in because it's That's custom right. made Yeah, to get that to work actually in that small form factor. Mm. And then when you look into the other heads that they either have manual or automatical adjustments of the lenses. Yeah. So it's like it's a bunch of things to to think of. So I don't, I wouldn't say we wouldn't see. It. There are already people that create helmets for like the Oculus and stuff, but it's more like as a gimmick, mm-hmm. cool to have sort of features. We have a few of the Formula One teams like taking a jigsaw like just around the helmet, putting the VR inside there, just like <laughs> foaming around it. Yeah. And it, lo- it looks absolutely ridiculous from the outside, but when you actually have the helmet on inside, it's pretty immersive. Like all the drivers, they're like, yeah, forget like the instant to take the headset on. Like I'm on the I'm at the rail track. I can't That's really cool. differentiate what's real or, or yeah. what's visual. That is very cool. And and you know, it kind of blows my mind like how far we've come. And not to bang on about a different VR brand when <laughs> we've invited you on, but I, I did blow my mind when um I saw that uh demo of the big screen beyond and you get an app and you kind of scan your face with the app and then it measures your face and then measures the distance between your pupils and then molds so that there's no light coming in. And then I presume the pupils is so that you can you're focusing on the sweet the you know the sweet spot right in front of you, so the rest yep. is kind of slightly <clears throat> blurred to give the depth perception. Yeah, it's more about the how they scale it up. So in those or most of the VR headsets, you have like a sweet spot, and then you use the shape of the glass or like the lens itself to help you scale that screen up inside. Mm. So even though the screen inside of your headset might be like quite tiny. 
but then with the sort of lens you kind of make it feel larger so it feels actually bigger than it is inside the headset absolutely it's honestly fascinating absolutely baffling how much development yeah. technology is now available to gamers like and again not to bang on back in my day but if i remember like my sega mega drive where i was like getting the cartridge and <laughs> blow, blowing the dust out and putting it in and <laughs> loading up whatever i was like the, the the amount of work that has gone in to get us where we are now is is mind-blowing and you know thank thank god for yeah. it right? but but also like this I wouldn't say like the sad thing, but one unfortunate thing is like the complexity rises as well. Mm. Like one thing with like not to bash on other headsets, but like with with the big screen, for example, it works. And I think Boosted Meter or Real Ford noted it, noticed this as well, is that it works really well for yourself. But if you have a friend over you and can't. he wants to try yeah. out the headset, it might not fit him or her at all. Yeah. So then you're not able to share that experience with anyone else. So again, like it depends on what the, like your main use cases are, but like having friends over here, like just put on the headset, it automatically adjusts everything, yeah. and you just like put it on straight in the rig, and you're good to go. So and something that I realized, and I think we were talking about in the in the office recently, um, was with sim racing specifically, right? Even if you imagine, right, you're sat in a rig and you haven't got a VR headset, right, and you you've got an ultra wide monitor, now. A lot of the bottom, the, the bottom third of the screen is the car, right? The cockpit, which is kind of irrelevant to the racing. The top third is the sky, maybe even a bit more. So again, irrelevant. And then you have this tiny slice in the middle of the screen where you can see the track and the barriers and the stands, right? But the stands and the, 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 the barriers and the runoff isn't relevant. So you've got this tiny bit, even on a screen, right? Even in a, an ultra wide, you've probably got about two inches by six inches in front of you that's that you're actually kind of playing right the rest is all just noise and context but you're playing this tiny bit that's baffling now apply that to vr and then imagine that the like it's a matchstick like it's the tiniest amount of physical space where all of the gaming happens in this headset in in these thou thousands and thousands of pixels crammed into a space you know, no bigger than like a, a one P piece. And that is where all of the enjoyment comes from. Like when you think about it like that, it's bonkers. Absolutely. And one thing is, which is really cool. And one thing that I see, at least from my own personal experience with VR as well as you can actually turn your head and you can see the cars around you when you were like into the braking zones and stuff. You can't really do that with a monitor unless you're like moving the camera and stuff, but then you're messing up your braking points because it just fuck mm. or messes up your your field of view so yeah. there are like countless benefits on on doing vr in terms of like space as well like having a triple monitor setup or like ultra wide it takes like a, a lot of physical space and for myself that lives in like a fairly small apartment as well i don't really i can't fit a triple screen setup or even though no. i wanted to do it yeah so so for me vr was really the the only choice so so now we're, let's get back a bit more into Varho and, and a bit on that side of things. So could you explain your favorite product that you've kind of helped push and release and, and why it is your favorite? Yeah, I haven't uh, helped on publishing any products, but I would say like the uh, the XR3, which we'll call it. So back to your question, Tom, on like the VR, XR, MR, like what they all are. Like VR is virtual reality or closed inside something. You can't see the outside world. MR, which is mixed reality, and XR, which is extended reality. Same, same, kind of. And then you have AR, which is like Augmented. all overhead or like Pokemon Go. You can mm. see the real world, but then you can see like add something on top. But with the XR, <clears throat> you're able to have campgrounds in front of your headset. So you can do fully VR if you want to. So when doing like a sim racing session, you are like fully immersed in VR, but then you can like either draw around or you use green screen behind your steering wheel to actually able to see the your own physical hands button button box like shifter and everything inside the sim which is pretty cool i think so then if you have a cool steering wheel or a replica steering wheel or something that looks cool and fancy you're actually able to see it if you race vr and you buy like a go miss wheel for two and a half thousand euros you're not actually able to see it in vr you just feel the buttons on it right i remember thinking the exact same thing at expo 21 when fanatec came out with their bentley wheel 
and obviously they have the the circular screen. I don't even think, I don't think they've released it yet, but um, they showed it off in 2021, and you had the <clears> circular <throat> screen in the middle that, as you rotated the wheel, the circular screen kind of almost gimbaled. It was, I think it was meant to look like it was just kind of like swinging. So they yeah, was, flo- was floating vertical, in right? the center, or yeah, yeah, right. And it was nuts. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. And then I tried a VR, and I was like, oh my god, I would love to have the Bentley with the VR. Oh wait. If I've got the VR on, I'm not going to be able to see the wheel. And then I thought, well, forget the screen. What about all the buttons? If you're doing adjusting traction control, ABS, engine mode, DRS, curves, if you're in an older car or, or, or cycling through the menu to do a pit stop, like you, you lose all of that if you're in VR. So when I first saw the the application of XR in sim racing, I was like, well, this is the future. This is absolutely the future. And and I was I was kind of looking into it and realized that there's a bit of manual setting up. You draw a, a zone around where everything is. That's cool. I wonder how much that kind of drifts if you have to keep kind of updating that. The green screen, great. But then you obviously need a green screen there, not in front of it, which means you can't. A lot of people put their wheel overlapping their their monitor. So you know, there's a bit of anyway, a bit of setting up. And then I was I assume that eventually with the the application of ai the ai will just know that's a wheelbase that's a wheel you know this is that's the cockpit and you don't even need to draw it it's like okay i know what all this stuff is i'll show you that but i won't show you the rest yeah yeah i think like definitely that's the direction that we're going now and i think like yeah some of the videos that you might refer to might come from us and i think that's like some like early developer mm-hmm. someone just playing around before i'm joining avario and i said like we can't do it like that like <laughs> It might look cool, but for us that doing it like it doesn't work. But at least here at home, I just have a piece of cardboard and a green cloth glued to it mm. that I just put behind my wheel when I'm when I want to do XR here at home. Yeah, it's very cool, and it's 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 also given streamers a really cool opportunity to, to create some amazing content. And actually, I'm about to to move into a into a flat, and I was thinking, you know, ultra wide, tri- definitely not triple screens, but maybe even ultra wide is a bit tight. Now I'm thinking, do I just have a tiny, tiny monitor for just starting it up? And do I go down the VR route with the green screen? Because, I mean, that sounds incredibly uh, immersive, right? And I, and I guess I guess when you're marketing your your products, you, you do a huge amount of research about the personas of who it is, who would buy your equipment. Now, I guess VR and VRXR... Um, I guess you're kind of ticking two boxes and I'd be really interested to see which one you think is the focus or if it's equally both. But I think VR, of course, gives immersion, right? And I've always thought the sim racers are split into those who want the immersion and the experience and those who are doing it for performance, either for esports or for motorsport, right? Those are the two groups. One is massive. The other is a bit smaller, but far more committed and higher spending, right? Um, Now, VR and XR, I would argue, gives you both immersion and an element of, performance where do you where do you how do you market yourself to sim racers do you say that you're all about giving people an immersive experience or about people being able to improve their performance by immersing themselves in it i would say both mm. we actually do i think we we put the focus more or maybe on the enjoyment side like immersive side because like like the easiest to understand and then you have like the last five percent of like the aliens and, and those that are racing really quick that wants to have it for, for performance that want to get into as well. Then we talk more open about it. Like we don't really talk with like the Formula One team. So are oh, you getting immersed this or that? Like mm-hmm. it's eye tracking. We can extract data from the headset. You can use the uh, mixed reality to play around and move around buttons on the physical steering wheels mm-hmm. to create a better wheel or better ergonomics. That's like sweet. then it's more on the performance side. So depending on who you're targeting, in terms of like gamers or simulator users, of course, then it's like more on the immersive side, experiencing it. Yeah. And then on the professional side, it's all about the analytics data mm. and improving, getting that small uh, benefits. That makes total sense. Now, where, so if you could, and again, I do this sometimes to guests and they hate it, right? But it's, it's, a, it's a podcast host prerogative, right? I need to predict the future for us. So if you, in let's say two years time had to identify what the biggest step ups in vr experiences and vr performances are between now and two years time what's the what's the biggest difference we're going to see in vr equipment in two years time that doesn't exist today i would 
guess something that has something with cloud processing to do because at least what we see today is like most of like the game uh engines like unreal and unity and those like they are most of the simulation titles today they utilize the old versions of this game which can't really utilize the newest gpus and cpus and like the hardware that you have on a computer and I think when you're getting at that point where you can enable cloud processing to be streaming image from the cloud down to the headset or monitors or, or what you have, then you're able to create like a more lifelike or real looking environment because you have unlimited processing power in the cloud than compared to the local side as you have now. Like even with like a the most expensive CPU, GPU, everything you can get, you're still, I wouldn't say like lock, but you are uh, reduced by how well the simulator has been built. So what we see a lot of like the uh, F1 Code Masters game, for example, I think is using a game engine that is six, seven, eight years old or something. And it has isn't like an open engine as like a set of Corsa, for example. Mm. So the Formula One games, it doesn't really work or perform that well in VR just due to the old graphics engine or game engine that VR wasn't really a thing when it was started or beginning. So what we can now see with like Unreal Engine, the newer ones, or yeah, with iRacing or, or others is that they're now implementing new newer streaming algorithms. Mm. I don't know, codes. I'm, I'm not a developer, but... Uh, Neuro code that is more efficient on how to get the image from the computer into the headset or to the monitor. So interesting. So the answer actually isn't we're going to see a huge difference in VR headsets. Actually, it's going to be the supporting software that the VR. Oh yeah, you're going to see something. Yeah, yeah, you're going to see something in hardware as well. But I think the biggest change is within software, the back end of it, that's because that's where the largest limitation are today. Mm. Well, okay. Well, that I mean... like like our, our engineers, for example, on the. Uh, there's something called Vario uh, Reality Cloud, which is like, it's a cloud service. It's built for Unreal and Unity, but for like business applications. Mm. So the streaming algorithm that our engineers and Vario have been able to create is more efficient than Netflix's streaming algorithm. And that's the terms of uh, inv investment or time or things you need to develop your own to be able to showcase the high quality that, that our hardware can do already but you are limited factor by the computer. Like a USB port, it has limited amount of data or power it can transmit through that one cable. I mean, I, I feel like gamers generally are already spoiled, but I think they've kind of got, they've got a lot of very, very cool stuff um, coming at them, right? And as a, as a gamer and kind of professional observer of, of what's being built, like my goodness, like the the experiences that are going to be open to to, to gamers in the next couple of years are absolutely mind blowing. Now, something I've noticed as a trend <clears throat> is the marriage between sim racing and uh, flight sims. So a lot of brands do both. So next level racing, as you mentioned, Vario, Track Racer. There's a load of brands that will the Thrustmaster, you know, Logitech. There's there's a there's a marriage there because it's gaming hardware. And it's all about simulation. And now we're starting to see, we were at Gamescom uh, a couple of weeks ago um, and we saw all of the truck simulator wheels that have started to be released and the, and the panels, you know, all the, the, I actually know very little about it, but like almost like a button box for a tractor <laughs> is essentially how you would describe it, right? There's a lot of hardware yeah. coming out for <clears throat> simulation. And I do wonder okay. whether simulation is going to kind of become a bit of a, uh, runaway horse in terms of uh, a gaming sector because there's so much exciting hardware around it. Like gamers already love hardware, but actually if yeah. you compare somebody who plays CSGO or Dota to somebody who's a sim racer, if you've got CSGO or Dota, you can upgrade your PC and your mouse and your keyboard. And that's yeah. it, right? Um, yeah. Whereas as a sim racer or a flight simmer, you never ever finish. Uh, and any, any committed listener to this podcast will be bored to death of me saying that phrase. You never finish your rig. So yeah. I wonder if because of that, and let's be fair, because of the commercial implications of that, those sim games are going to, you know, be head and shoulders, about, are going to start to perhaps catch up with your big, your big kind of first person shooter titles in terms of popularity. Yeah, I think so. Just looking back at like the 
just yeah just like my own experience like the few years i've been sim racing like when i started there were like it was logitech thrustmaster and funnel tech they had like one wheel or one series each of them and now just look a few years later i think for myself as well like really getting my eyes open to like there's actually something within gaming which is just like not just mice and keyboard or xbox playstation control you're actually able to replicate or have controllers to improve the inputs inside the game like euro truck simulator for example mm. it's been out for what 10 15 years or god knows it's how long it's been right? out yeah. yeah a really old long game time and there's been there haven't been any truck sim wheels for it at all and trick until now mosa suddenly comes on track it's just like hey this is a will we're seeing mm -hmm. if you look at the top games on steam i think euro truck simulator 2 is still like one of yeah. like yeah. top five or top 10 yeah. or something it's and it streams well people watch it yeah exactly it's ridiculous how many people or not so ridiculous but it's like amazing how many people that actually watches this and as i say like farming sim you have esports farms yeah. <laughs> did you see the so we were blown away by the the farming simulator league so they had like a uh, Gamescom, you well, you were there, right? So you probably saw it, but they had a. No, I wasn't there. Oh, you weren't there. Was it, there was somebody from no, Value? No. Did anybody from Value go? No. Oh yeah, okay, man, it was awesome. Um, but yeah, there was a stage, right? Yeah. And it was called the Farming Simulator League, and they had this huge LED backdrop, this big shield badge thing, and then they had the two desks. You know, like uh, CS:GO, you have like the two like the desks of players where you have like a bank of like four players. And yeah, 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 yeah. And they and were, they were like, doing tasks and turbo farming, and... right? And you just saw. Like in the middle of this huge screen and these tractors just like smashing it over hedges to get to the next place to plow or, you know, and, and, and I'm not belittling it. I just don't understand the terms, right? But it, it was mine and it was full. It was hundreds and hundreds yeah. and hundreds of people watching people playing. Yeah, no, and I think it's due to accessibility as well. And it's also like understanding the content. Like when we're doing sim racing or flight sim, that's it. you need to have some knowledge mm. about like, what is racing or what is flight yeah. sim? Like, what are the rules of flight sim? Like with with Euro truck or with with farming sims? Like, you're plowing a field or sowing a field or like mm. it's quite easy to understand for everyone, and it's not easier to get into it and be engaged in that sort of community. Yeah, like I, I play farm sim myself and enjoy it, like relaxing sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like I, I grew up it. on a farm, grew up on a farm and it was like relaxing driving mm. a tractor and stuff, but it's still like. It's just like a different feel to it. It's more yeah. like relaxing, laid back. And but I... it still have that sense of progression. Mm. At least for me, like Counter-Strike and Leaders of Legends, like it never... I played CS 1.6 like years ago, like hundreds of hours, but I'd really... You don't get the sense of progression mm -hmm. in those sort of games or titles as you are in Farm Sim or Euro Truck or mm. Sim Racing or Flight Sim. You can like play that you have a company or something like that to create something and build more inside the game so i wonder if this is a conflict then for for vr brands because it sounds like we've identified perhaps a trend towards games used for relaxing so you know if you go onto an if you go to onto seto corsa content manager and you look at all the servers that are running the ones that are always the most popular are the ones that aren't running races it's the the nordschleife uh, tourist uh, lobbies and it's the as it uh, what's it called? Is it Shutuko Revival? Yeah, Shutuko Revival Shutu project. Right. So yeah, you have yeah. all just the open world driving. Yeah, right? dr driving in traffic. Just for fun, just driving in traffic, right? Mm -hmm. So there seems yeah. to be this push towards like this relaxing kind of just passing the time, just enjoying. I've maybe got I've got some music on or whatever. Do you think yeah. one of the challenges that VR has to overcome is the fact that it's an additional step between I fancy doing some gaming to actually being gaming is you have to get the headset it in presumably there's some firmware that you need to that will, that will pop up you have to, to set it going or maybe there's some calibration to be done or there's just a few extra steps do you think that's something that is, is presents a challenge to vr yeah i think so at least again like talking on my own experience like with the oculus or with the hp even like you need to launch like two different softwares maybe as a like some drivers to update but at least the experience that I have with Vari, not to like to run commercial and to, towards that, even though I work there, but still like it's plug and play. And like mm. you need to install one software once and then you need to upgrade, upgrade your graphics driver. And you need to do that mm. anyway if you're doing VR or not. But mm -hmm. it just works. And that's one of the benefits as well for, for us creating it for our customers because time is money in the business world. And we really need to have something that works every time you turn it on. Mm -hmm. 
and you don't need to update 10 different things and then you lost tracking of something and and whatnot but but for sure like vr is it can be something extra it can be a hurdle for for someone to like plug it in and then pick it out instead of just like get in the ring and turn on the monitor mm -hmm. for sure and do you think then for the opposite group of people like not your casual gamers but those high level <coughs> racers the the esports racers do you think you'll see more esports competitions breaking into vr then in the future i think so we are that's one of the things i'm i'm trying to work with as well and something we're doing with the alpine esports or formula one esports team as well is trying to get both understanding what the hurdles are for a, like an esports team if you're if you're driving seven hours a day your eyes might not benefit mm. of using vr since it's like in your eyes the whole the whole mm. time but still it's I, w I would say to be gentle i would say at least most of the esports competitions today they are sponsored sadly so if you're doing the f1 esports official series there's one pro the one brand that sponsors mm. everything there's you need to use their products mm. same with gt3 or Ren sport or, or something mm -hmm. like that like there are companies that have paid to either be their licensed or paid to have their products there and one thing i hope will change in terms of vr no in terms of sim racing is that people can use the equipment they would like to use themselves and you're not necessarily faster with vr or faster with like more expensive products like you can see some of the guys using like an i-ring board and like a kitchen chair and they're still beating you by a second by lap <laughs> there's always going to be those people out there yeah yeah don't we know it yeah <laughs> um thank you so much for your time Rino. i really appreciate it it's been really good to get like an insight into into kind of vr generally as well as obviously what you guys are doing at vario so final question before we wrap up um and i'm sure you're you know you're happy to answer this but what's the next product give us the stats i want the release date can you give me the price um <laughs> what's what's where where is vario heading Where's Vario heading? So we're always looking, yeah, looking to improve our product. So I, th I was thinking you would see we're improving something in in mixed reality. That's definitely the what separates us from from others as well. So I think you would see something that is even bridging the gap or getting more realistic than it already are That's sometime in the in the future. But uh, yeah, as with all larger companies, we're always looking to try to look into the future, see what yeah. sort of hardware that is available and and what sort of use cases that uh, people want to use it but well as a man uh, standing on the edge of the flight sim cliff <laughs> um i am very excited to see what you bring out i'm still trying to work out how i build a rig that i can quickly convert from sim racing to flight simming i've been on reddit i've got some ideas that i, I really like helicopter flying so i'm trying to how do i get the collective there not oh, in the way nice. of the gears there's a lot to work out <clears> but yeah i'm excited for this uh mixed reality uh journey that vario is going on uh because uh, you know i think if you could if you could sit in a rig and see anything from your wheel and, and pedals all the way to your you know collective and joystick where if you're flying and also then see out through a a, a cockpit window to fly oh my goodness like i, I just I don't know quit my job and uh, just do that all day that sounds amazing <laughs> yeah we can jo join Vario. we do this for a job every day so uh... well there, yeah i mean uh, maybe don't sorry grid this. finder, grid finder <laughs> yeah no no it, it is like fun for me like i i wouldn't say like a game every day but like i have some opportunity to like either create content for like our instagram or social media pages mm. or or even like I need to learn a software before having a call with a customer, for example, mm -hmm. to understand yeah. the software and what the sort of issues they are having. So it's like a, a perk with a job. And uh, I'll send you some pictures of the rig when I moved into my house, what I'm Great. getting that now in a couple of weeks on how I have the, I also do him helicopter simulator. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. I, we and to... the, and the sim racing. So yeah. I'll, uh, perfect. Give you some pointers there. I need to get the blueprints. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it's interesting actually. We have a we have a rig in the office which was uh, um, given to us by our, our previous sponsor on the show, Track Racer, um, and it's frustrating given that it is about three meters away from my desk. How little, given that we work in sim racing, that we managed to to sim race. It turns out there's so much to do in sim racing, we don't have time to do sim racing, yeah. which is very very frustrating. But 
Uh, yeah, you need to put day. aside some uh, some time on, on Fridays after hours or <laughs> just before you leave. Like we had that on the like the Dimension Ten startup. We had like a twenty minutes after work on on Fridays to do social things in VR. If that were like yeah, play stuff in VR, mm -hmm. uh, like badminton or ping pong or well, that fun. whatever, but do something like friendly competitive where you can play multiplayer that and it, like really do cool. something around it and then have some alcohol with it as well. That uh, <laughs> it really alcohol and VR fun. that sounds like alcohol, a, VR and a driving potent <laughs> recipe. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we'll uh, Liam. We'll do Friday afternoons. We'll do sim racing and VR sponsored by Bio. Yeah. Um, <laughs> get that headset in there. Cool. Well, um, Runa, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate your time. It was great chatting with you, and I'm very, very excited to see what uh, what comes next. Sounds good. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks for having me. It's been uh, super cool there to be and talk about myself and and Vario. So let's see what the future brings. See you soon. Bye bye. See you soon.